1 Corinthians warned you about the women with a loud mouth, and this podcast is just that. Here at the Speaking in Church podcast, we talk all about the regular people and the things that regularly happen to them in the evangelical church. It's a podcast about change. It's a podcast about seeking moral high ground. And it's a podcast for people who are just trying to deconstruct on the safe side. You can listen wherever you get your podcast, And if you want to be a guest, yes, you, regular person, you can be a guest on the Speaking in Church podcast. If you want to come on, just let us know. You're listening to an irreverent podcast. Visit irreverent.fm for more content from my fabulous friends. Hey everybody, it's Adrian. If you're listening to this silky, silky, smooth voice, you know what it is. You got yourself another episode of the Dirty Rotten Church Kids podcast. Hello, one and all. We are back. It is the second episode of season four, the final season, year of our Lord, 2023. Man, man, oh man, it's good to be back here within your ear holes. I just came back from a bunch of traveling and I alluded to it before the last episode. Listen, if you're listening to this four seasons in, it's because you are deeply and intimately interested in my personal life as a person. And so I'm just going to like, listen, this is on you. I'm going to overshare. I'm going to share all of the things. And this is on you. If you don't like it, you should know better. My family and I took a trip. As you know, we have really been talking about moving and we decided to spend a week in another state. And uh, we hopped around in a bunch of different cities and we came home. Upon returning, we really kind of looked each other in the eye and like really weighed and measured. We counted the cost to use a nice biblical term. We really counted the cost. And we have decided that we are, in fact, going to um, move forward with moving out of South Florida this year. The plan as it stands right now, and I say the plan as it stands right now because there's one thing I know for sure is that everyone in this world is one news headline away from any plan they've had for the year being completely flushed down the toilet. And so in this moment, March 2023, our plan is to move to the great state of North Carolina. That's kind of the plan. I'm going to put it out there. I almost didn't want to say it because I was like, oh, you know, like you're going to jinx yourself. But no, I'm going to stand in the gap. I'm going to name it and claim it. I'm going to blab it and grab it. I'm going to manifest whatever you want to say. That's our plan. We hopped around in a bunch of different areas. We visited a bunch of different areas um, like the Charlotte area, Winston-Salem, Raleigh-Durham, Uh, We had visited Asheville in the past and we met up with some friends and it was just, it was wild to see how many people I know from South Florida that have moved up to North Carolina. And really, I was just trying to see if there's a city that I resonated with. There's a few other states that we have considered, but for whatever reasons that we have currently, North Carolina feels like a good spot for us to land. So all that to say, I'm going to be so busy. (laughs) The, the, The process of listing a home as a person, like we were able to, like we bought our house in 2019 as our first home ever. We bought the house and now we have to like sell that house. We got to get it ready to list, go through the process of selling and living in a perfectly manicured home that you like, you can't look like anyone lives there, but we have two kids. So yeah, fucking can't wait for this. That's going to be great. What's the worst that could happen? Also, I'm making a list of all the things we need to do. It is absolutely bonkers to me that the most clean, the most aesthetic the most functional and beautiful and minimalist my home will ever look is the number of weeks that I am trying to leave it. I feel like it's poetic somehow. We're just trying to decide, you know, like, are we going to sell a house and then try and 
buy a house at the same time, which feels like a double dutch of an experience. Like this has to be perfectly timed or are we going to just hop around for a little bit until we, to, until we are really sure on, on where to go. So that's kind of what's happening. Um, shout out to some friends who have kind of sent a bunch of suggestions my way. It was really, really great. Shout out to a couple of bad apples, uh, Julie and Angela, who knew that I was headed up to, to that state and were like, you should check out these cool things. And so I, we definitely did. And um, the kids really loved it. There was just, it just felt good. It certainly felt different than South Florida, but it's interesting how just a few degrees of difference can make one feel more connected to the area. <laughs> like I've, I've never, I mean, it was like 90 degrees in Florida when we left. And in general, it's pretty much perpetually 80 degrees or 90 degrees. And I rarely go outside in South Florida and like, I am one with the earth. I am one with the land and the land is at one with me. Like it just doesn't happen. But when we were in NC, I just kept like just... I don't know. I just felt so good. So anyway, and not to say I don't have those experiences in other places that I visited, but there's something about like visiting a place and kind of trying to embody that place being like, can I actually, can I see myself planting a flag here, kind of planting some roots. And so I'll keep you all posted as plans change. Cause one thing I know is that plans tend to change. I want to give a huge shout out to my previous guest on the last episode, the first episode back my friend Brad Onishi. It was such a fun conversation. It was such a fun time. Sidebar, by the way, real quick, uh, I recorded another episode. I kind of forgot what order I was recording in. And so on the on the next episode that drops in a couple of weeks, you're going to hear me go, ah, what a great conversation with Brad Onishi. I'm going to say all the same shit that I'm saying right now. Just play along. It was good talking to Brad. Brad is a great communicator and a great human. I appreciate him so much on the work that he does. It was so informative and yet incredibly accessible. That's like his like superpower is he can talk about incredibly maybe kind of heady academic things but it's conveyed in a way that feels almost poetic i I don't know it's so great so brad i appreciate you thank you for being on the show so now that i've gotten that out of the way i want to go ahead and perfectly and seamlessly tee up this week's guest i had the absolute privilege of speaking to holly laurent who is the kind of founder and co-host of the podcast mega which is just an absolute hilarious powerhouse of a show. I was so pleased to get to speak with her. It's interesting when you experience a creator from one perspective, specifically like comedy, right? And then kind of builds the sort of expectation of kind of what you're going to get in an interview when it doesn't unfold that way. And it ends up being so much more beautiful and complex and nuanced of a conversation. It just feels like you're finding money in like a sweater or something. You're like, oh my God, this is way cooler than I expected. Chatting with Holly was that. It was like we talked about mega and we talked about the podcast and we talked about the role of comedy in kind of post evangelical spaces. Like we talked about that stuff, but then we talked about like a bunch of other stuff and it was just great. It was just a laid back conversation talking about how do you kind of exist in this world (laughs) coming from the evangelical spaces that we did and how do you find beauty if you want to, even in the traditions that you were handed that maybe caused harm? Is there a way to find something? there that still serves you. And I know for me, that's something that I am like just recently able to even broach. So I don't want to like talk over what she is saying. It's such a great conversation. What I do want to do is hang an age, a classic Adrian Gibbs lampshade. Just so you know, you all are going to really miss my lampshades after this season is over. I want to hang a lampshade. Anytime I interview a guest, they are always describing their lived experience. And it is certainly a descriptive, not a prescriptive conversation. And sometimes these people are expressing 
real harm. Sometimes they're expressing their spiritual beliefs, how that they have evolved or devolved. <laughs> so sometimes you might bump into things that either are too fresh that are like feel a little bit too raw because of your lived experience. Or maybe you're going to hear a thing and you're like, I, uh, you know, you believe in something that I just don't quite really believe all, all that stuff. It's absolutely possible that you can bump into that. And that's kind of what this is about. It's kind of making space for all of our different experiences. So if that's something that you're into, please listen on. I think you're going to absolutely love it. So without any further ado, this is my conversation with Holly Laurent. First Corinthians warned you about the women with a loud mouth, and this podcast is just that. Here at the Speaking in Church podcast, we talk all about the regular people and the things that regularly happen to them in the evangelical church. It's a podcast about change. It's a podcast about seeking moral high ground. And it's a podcast for people who are just trying to deconstruct on the safe side. You can listen wherever you get your podcast, And if you want to be a guest, yes, you, regular person, you can be a guest on the Speaking in Church podcast. If you want to come on, just let us know. My next guest is a podcaster, writer, and performer. You may know her as the creator and host of the hit podcast, Mega, a critically acclaimed comedy podcast about the staff of a fictional megachurch. She's contributed work to NPR and The Onion, as well as numerous television appearances like Key and Peele and The Late Late Show with James Corden. Bad Apples, let's give it up for Holly Laurent. Hello. Adrian, I'm so happy to be talking to you, truly. I'm happy to to have you on. This is like really, really a, a big deal to me. But before we get into that, I really have an important question. Yeah. Did I butcher your last name? How, how do you and your friends say your last name? I like the fancy friends pronunciate. Oh, see, I can't yep. even do it. Yeah. But um, it is one of those names that everybody says it differently. And I am 100% like so happy no matter what people say. My family is like Midwestern, like... Laurent, you know, like as, <laughs> um, but when I moved to LA, I noticed that a lot of times people who had read my name, but never like heard my name, they all were saying Laurent. And, um, mm. I'm like, Ooh, it sounds so fancy and yeah, sophisticated. Yeah, yeah. I'll take right. any pronunciation, but actually I think the way you did it, I didn't even notice. So it must've been perfect. Perfect. I, I did a quick Google. I was looking at the internet. You ever heard of the internet? I was looking for it. And there are certain ways, there's just like a bunch of different places where you can type in a thing and then they will kick back their kind of phonetic understanding of how something is pronounced. And honestly, it was a toss up. It really could have gone either way. So I'm, I'm glad it worked out. I was thinking <laughs> about leaning really heavy into kind of the French Laurent. I really thought of doing it, but. Nice. Well, I have this fear, I think because of many insecurities from having a Christian education growing up and, and feeling like I'm always, you know, also a sense of like, I'm always assuming I'm probably wrong, like all that, all that bullshit. Yes. I have a real fear about pronunciation. I have a real fear about people's names. I'll do the same thing. I'll like look at it, study it. I'll put it like phonetically in front of me in notes. <laughs> that's brilliant. That, that's great. <laughs> I think you and I probably have that thing in common where we're always just so afraid of getting it wrong and assuming we are. I don't know what you mean. <laughs> I have no idea what you're referring to. <laughs> I don't know what you mean. I've been pretty confident my whole life in my intuition. And I grew up in a sort of religious setting that really encouraged for me to be in touch with my body, have a clear body mind connection and like follow my the instincts and signals my body are giving me and not dissociate at all. <laughs> oh, my God. Oh, my God. I, I want to to do this right at the, at the gate. Hollies. I want to uh, give you some verbal flowers. So I heard about your show. Because 
a number of people would talk about dirty rotten church kids and they would like, I would like see them interacting with other people. And sometimes if someone tags you, you know, you kind of get dragged into a conversation in the internet somewhere and you're like, what are you guys talking about? Oh, you're talking about me. And oftentimes folks would be like, man, if you think dirty rotten church kids is funny, then mega is going to make you shit yourself. Like (laughs) if you think that's funny, this is real humor, you idiot. And so I'm like, oh, okay. So really, so really, uh, my understanding very, very quickly became apparent that Dirty Rotten Church Kids is kind of like the, like the, the Walgreens Zyrtec version of, of what Mega is. And so I was like, well, let me give this a listen. You know, let me take, you know, let me take a peek. And I got to say, it's fucking hilarious. So your show is absolutely brilliant. Uh, so you being on the show means a lot. Oh, God bless that. You know, I'll be the first to I love prescription. I love a a generic prescription. So that must be why I love your podcast. (laughs) No, I'm just kidding. But actually, you had a sketch. You had a sketch recently where I was like, is this an ad or a sketch? Because I was like, this is an ad. I was like, I'm going to parody this. I was like, this is really funny. (laughs) It was the it was the multi-sided dice for um, worship leaders. Yeah, the worship dice. It was so good. I was like, oh, man. And and that's my favorite thing with comedy is like uh, when you're when you're like wait is this real or is this not real is it, that's my favorite moment. <laughs> me too. Me too. And you're like you're kind of rolling with it for a minute and you're like wait a minute oh dirt ah oh, damn it. I fell <laughs> so for if it. I start satirizing your parody, we've like reached the nexus of the universe oh, of like we're mama birding each other. Yeah, comedy. this is yeah. good. This is good. <laughs> that I I that probably is the next iteration where ex evangelicals just start parodying each other. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, what's real? What's, That's how true. do we even know? That's true. There's no way of knowing. <laughs> Holly, I would love to jump in. I would love to hear about your story. Like, were you a church kid? And if so, what did that look like for you within your framework? Can you talk to me about some of that? It was a really intense upbringing because my parents were hardcore fundamentalist evangelical leaders, Christian rock band. My dad is now a mega church pastor, like the whole thing, like all in everything, uh, my entire definition of reality was entirely dictated by this very black and white God and Satan, angels and demons, heaven and hell. Like everything was very, very intense. There were very dramatic things happening. Like at tent revivals, my dad was leading with like casting out demons and stuff that took me like decades to realize like, oh, epilepsy is a thing. And, um, usually happens, you know, a lot of times in settings where there are strobe lights and big crowds and <laughs> and uh. um oh yeah that guttural screaming of a demon is also known as like seizure noises and you know like all of the so it was it was a lot and it was christian school and both my parents are preachers kids so yeah there's been a lot to be grappling with and i i feel like i've sort of been reaching the point where i'm i'm not I hesitate to say this because I'm always like all over the board. You asked me a question today, I'll answer it so differently than tomorrow and three weeks (laughs) ago and three years from now. But the way it's lodged in my heart right now is on a really fundamental level of starting to recognize all of the big systems, like the family systems, the belief systems, the the coding, the programming, the attachments, the, the the experience of reality, like consciousness, all of that stuff. Like I'm getting down to some what feel to me more like some bedrock issues that I'm grappling with a little bit that I'm tumbling around in my tumbler. 
Whereas sometimes I have felt I've spent long periods of time dealing with more of the details on the surface level. Sure. At least from an emotional experience where I'll spend years or months like really angry (laughs) about feeling lied to or, you know, spending a lot of time. I, I joke now that the Internet thinks I'm like such a devout Christian because I do more research now (laughs) Um, than I ever have, (laughs) like 10 years or 20 years into kind of feeling like I walked away from it all. So there are times where I spend a lot of time in research, especially because of my podcast, I'm having to educate myself and, and kind of keep up with the conversation on a detail level of biblical scholarship, theological illiteracy, things like that. But the place where I am personally right now is a much deeper emotional level of really wanting to deconstruct some of the deep human programming of how I'm experiencing reality and the ways that I'm viewing myself and and the world and my fellow brothers and sisters and siblings in the world. I'm just really starting to notice the ways in which I can get caught up on the minutia of like, really? Blood sacrifice? We think this is a good deity? (laughs) To sadness about the harm that I'm seeing that a lot of these ways of thinking can cause in myself and in young ones and in the people that I love and in like you, I'm looking into your eyes right now. And I feel like we have such a deep understanding of each other, even though we just met. Yeah. 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 Wow. I resonate with so much of what you say. I think this show, for example, has been going on for, this is like the fourth year and it already feels like, I'm like, dude, we have just talked about so much kind of anecdotes, you know, it's a lot of pop culture and it's a lot of like, look at what fucking Mark Driscoll did. And like, there is a point to that, right? It's part of the show, right? It's part of the, the content, right? And just as you said, I can only imagine what your, your DMs look like when people are like, have you watched this bullshit? And you're like, yes, I've watched it. I've had to, I have to watch it. I watch it so you don't have to. You're welcome. Um, and so I get I've that. I've watched it. I've lived <laughs> feeling. it. I've grieved it. I've watched I've it. I've lived it. it. That's me. It. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> right? Three days later. But I do, I can also resonate with this feeling of like, after you've, kind of mucked about in the weeds for so long that you're kind of like, there's a pattern here, you know? Yeah. What if I like zoom out a little bit and just kind of look at some of the bigger picture stuff? Did did that come about you looking at these bigger ideas and kind of fundamental components? Did that happen recently as opposed to, you said it took you like a while to get to this or have you always kind of been zooming out and looking at like the big picture like that? I think I always felt very frightened coming up in the high demand religion that I found myself in because I always had that sort of rebellious nature. I'm, I have a real just natural bent toward anti-authoritarianism, no matter what, if it's like cops, if it's anything, I'm like, if it's just a boss, like I don't do well having a boss. I just don't. Cause I'm always like, well, what did you fucking, I, you, you don't fucking better than me. You don't even know what you're doing. You know, like just because of that, people have told me it's because I'm Aquarius. <laughs> I have no idea. For me, a lot of it boils down to a real linguistic question. I have a semantic feeling that comes out of all of this all the time. Is it just semantics? Are we describing? We're looking at the same thing and I'm describing it as abuse and addiction and you're describing it as a stronghold of Satan. Is it just semantics? Mm. Is it? And and I do think because our ability to think is based on the language that we speak or the languages we speak, the words that we have at our disposal limit the potential of our perceptions. And so I think a lot of it is that. 
But I'm also really highly, highly sensitive and I'm really emotional and I'm a verbal processor. So I'm always, these are my favorite conversations to have all the time with everyone. I wonder if people really get sick and tired of me wanting to like break down all the like semantics and theological illiteracy and all the everything. And, you know, uh, but I, I think for me, I went from believing it deeply. My idea of reality was entirely based on spiritual warfare, Mm. uh, redemption, afterlife, all of that, which was very, very scary to me because the stakes were so high. (laughs) And so I rebelled against it. I was like, well, this is true. It's how it is. There's heaven and hell. There's angels and demons. There's sin and redemption. And so because I hate it, I'll just rebel against it and have as good a time as I can on my way to hell type of thing Mm. to then eventually being like, wait a second. And then somewhere in the range of college and in my 20s and in my 30s, really kind of the, the dismantling process where it was like, wait a second. And, and at first, when you remove the bigotry and when you remove the afterlife and when you remove the requirement of sin, uh, of blood sacrifice for sin redemption, and then like, wait a second, wait, original curse versus original blessing and all the things. As that all starts to, when you remove a few Jenga pieces and the whole thing starts to feel really precarious, I've kind of been all over the map on it. And I and I know that healing is not linear because I'll go from stages of, I live directly beneath the glowing white cross by the Hollywood Bowl and I walk my dog every night beneath this massive glowing white <laughs> cross on a hill. And I used to just be like, I'm enough, I'm enough. It's just like, it's like living beneath a, yeah, living beneath a billboard of my abuser. Oh, I, don't, I shouldn't have to. And then, you know, years later, looking up at the cross and being like, I wonder what the history of that is. Oh, maybe there's a story. Well, look at me. I'm not angry anymore. Oh, wow. I've really evolved or whatever. And then thinking that like, oh, anger was a stage and I've moved to a new stage. I'm no longer angry. And then cut to a year later, where I'm like fucking furious. And I'm like, yes. oh, it ain't linear. It's it's more to me. The shape is more like the galaxy of the Milky Way. It's just the swirling thing with like arms that that branch out occasionally. And then you come back into the swirling center. <laughs> Yeah. Oh my God. That's very similar. Samesies. I, I think for me, it's like, I'm at a place where I'm not like mad at my ex. Uh, I'm more like, I'm happy. I'm fine. Don't even miss you at all. I ain't missing you at all. You know, like that's where I like feel myself now. I don't even think about you. You're not even a blip on my radar. Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Don't even think (laughs) about you. Right. And, and then like, I'll be on social media or something. And then you'll see like a video and for whatever reason, the content creator happens to be a Christian. And so the song underneath a totally separate video will be like Oceans by Hillsong or something. Yeah. And I'm like, why am I crying right now? I'm not crying. You know, so for me, it's, it's a little it's not so much rage as much these days where it's more like I have zero emotional stake in this entire belief system. And then something will happen and I'll just have this visceral response. And so I'm sure I need to process what, what's actually happening, but I do resonate with what you're saying. Yeah. And honestly, a thought I had this week about it all, and I know it's a process and it's very, very messy. And I think it's a privilege to even be, if the whole point of this lifetime for me was that I put myself in a mind control cult to see if I could learn how to think by <laughs> being set up with a bunch of setbacks, <laughs> then the question becomes like, oh, okay. So I, I am learning how to think and I am seeking truth <laughs> as, as if it's hiding from me. Is this a game of hide and seek? But I really worry sometimes the whole baby out with the bathwater thing. I, I was thinking about it this week that 
I have such a strong reaction to all of these things, obviously, because of religious trauma and because of all of our coding and all of that. And I really struggle lately with the language of the oppressor and the atmosphere where dissent is not tolerated. That sort of existing at the same time, I want to say, well, if it's working for you, yeah. you know, speaking of exes, it's almost <laughs> like, okay, so I, I dated this guy and he was really, really abusive. If he's being good to you now, cool. Mm. <laughs> uh, you know, God bless, <laughs> like good luck. But man, that was a really destructive relationship for me. I can't imagine the ways in which it's working for you. Yeah. But then another part of me is really like, wait a second, what if I'm throwing out the idea of love because I saw one bad rom-com mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. not to diminish an entire world religion or the idea of religion in general down to a, a rom-com, but what if it is in terms of the breadth and mystery and miracle that love is? <laughs> you know, if, if, the, if the Jesus story Though damaging when bastardized, it may have very redeeming things to other people. It, it hasn't really worked out that way for me. But what if the thing, the, the connection, the love, whatever it is, what if I am turning my back on the potential for that thing that has been so desperately misinterpreted and misrepresented for so long? That is what kind of um, really gives me a little bit of a, a, a tremble in my deeper waters. <laughs> That's the mindfuck for sure. That's the mindfuck for sure. I, I, I feel like even just the ability to one, as you, you were saying earlier, the ability to even critically look at the religion we were handed, that in and of itself is a real fortunate privilege that so many folks, Thank who goodness. Are, if, if the religion yeah. is, you know, tied to culture and family as so many folks are still, and so many of us were brought up that way, like yes. they probably don't even think they have the ability to question or dissent like yeah. you were saying. And then to kind of extrapolate that out, your ability to take it and look at it, even just the idea of potentially sifting through it to find the goodness, that's a pretty big step too, you know? And I think a lot of people, yeah. just as much as they didn't think they had the uh, authority or independence or sovereignty to pick apart the religion they were handed, they also don't feel like they have the ability to circle back around and maybe lap themselves if they want to, or if they feel like it, right? So I think that is just as much a process of like coming into your own and being like, no, I can fucking do whatever I want. Like I built this house. I can stay for dinner. <laughs> yeah. It's sticky, Adrian. <laughs> It's, it's, it's sticky so for sticky. Sure. It's, yeah. I just can't find anything clean about it. And its tentacles are so deep into everything in our culture and in our ideas of, again, our own consciousness, reality, what is real, how are we living, what are the, there's so much that we are unaware of that it is humbling to try to make any sort of definitive statements or prescriptive ideas because not only is this very shifting sand, but I noticed something recently when I was grieving a very distinct loss of a friend that died. I remember in the first week of that grief, I remember I kept noticing like, holy smokes, this is such a clean emotion in that like there's nothing like tricky or mired or muddled or confusing about it. It's so crystal clear, like of this finality of the loss, the deep sadness and, and grief that just, I mean, there might be like later stages of grief where it gets more confusing and whatever, but like one of those like early stages of grief, I'm like, 
man, is this a clean cut emotion? Not meaning uh, easy, yeah. but just meaning not very confusing. Mm-hmm. It just it's concise. Is, yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's it's a clean cut. No matter how deep of a cut it is, it's a clean cut. Like, oh, this can be sutured. Where some of the stuff with religious trauma, I'm like, where do you even start the stitches? Yeah, because yeah. <laughs> it's so it's just a ball of exposed confusion where my self esteem is inside of this, my identity. Ideas of identity, even like I was listening to Alok talk recently about, again, we are limited by the language we speak. If someone is to say I'm non-binary, they're still defining themselves in terms of the binary. When somebody wants to know what I am, I'm like, I, I have no idea. I can't. I, there are no good From like words. a religion standpoint? Like, yeah, yeah. Like, are you atheist? Are you agnostic? Are you secular humanist? Are you humanist? Are you this, you that? I'm like, I don't know. <laughs> As far as I know, I'm a blueberry. I don't know. (laughs) And also, it's not just the limitations of our education, our language, and our perception. It's one of those things where, again, it's humbling how much, the more I learn, the more I realize how much I don't know. Mm. And I just started this new book about the sensory world of animals, and it's blowing my mind. There's a great interview that got me into this idea, meaning environment, but more specifically, an umwelt environment is the environment that is specific to describe the world according to the limitations of your perception. So since you, Adrian, can essentially only see three colors, you can see blue, green, and red and their variations, but it all stops at violet. So the way you perceive the world, it stops at violet in terms of like the way you encounter light. Yeah. And so there are maps and codes and letters and notes and directions being left all around us all the time by plants and animals and insects that are leaving notes for each other right in plain sight of us. And we cannot see them because they're beyond violet. We can't even imagine anything beyond violet. Like we look at a female cardinal and we go, oh, she's so brown and drab. When in reality, she's one of the most like technicolor, neon, unbelievable creatures. But when we describe a female cardinal bird, we are describing the limitations of our own perceptions because we just don't have the ability to see what she actually is. I take that idea and I look at like how I'm trying to deconstruct all of these things in terms of biblical scholarship and oppressive belief systems. And I'm just like, oh, my gosh, it's profound how much I don't know. And I really do feel like I dedicate myself to a lot of like biblical scholars and trying to understand like, okay, original blessing versus original sin and the ascension and what that means. And like the fact that Jesus Christ of Nazareth had no perception of a soul. And so, yes, it was very important that he was physically uh, revived and that he showed the nails in his hands. And so that it would because there was no idea before the Greeks that life could exist outside of the body. So he had to ascend to heaven because they had an idea of a three tiered universe where heaven was up there in the sky. Hell was beneath the dirt and the ground was here because they didn't know that it was a planet. And so now that we know it's a sphere and like our Christians still expect expecting that when Jesus returns, we'll all shoot up into the sky because now we know that that's like, we know what's actually out there. You're going to like go up and float with some satellites. (laughs) Like what are we, what are we talking about here? So even any amount of like haughty sort of like, Oh, you, you believers are cute with your 
theological illiteracy and stuff. I actually know, like, I actually don't know. <laughs> yeah. I think I might be a little bit more literate in terms of like biblical stuff than, you know, your average American Christian, but I don't know. I do think the internet thinks I'm the most devout Christian on earth though, because, I, <laughs> well, maybe not. Cause I am, I am doing a lot of bar Derman and stuff. <laughs> I will say my uh, my my YouTube algorithm thinks that I am just a fundamentalist they, because I'm like I like will do research to prep for like for episodes and you're looking stuff up and I'm like, oh, my God, I had to use a different account just so I don't fucking get spammed with stuff like, listen, man, I'm just trying to chill out. I don't want to have to watch John Piper. <laughs> you're like, Internet, you don't know who I am. You I'm don't very complex. YouTube. I am far more nuanced. I'm beyond violet. You don't understand. You wouldn't get it. Yeah, you wouldn't even get beyond violet because like <laughs> you're a code, like you're just a code. But then that brings me straight into simulation theory because I'm like, wait a second, we're code too. <laughs> we are DNA code. And then you get into epigenetics and you're like, whoa, you can change your code. Oh, wait a second. And I think that's also another thing that where I am personally right now today, which is always going to be different. I'm really into the becoming mindful of my thoughts and intentionally changing them to change my experience of reality. And boy, oh boy, does that work? <laughs> it really Dang. works. Yeah. Can you say more about that? Like what, like what, what do you mean? Like in what sense? Well, I think like with any change, you first go from not even being aware of what you don't know. Right. And then you start to become aware of this thing. <laughs> And then you start to notice it. Okay, for instance, I've had a few different teachers recently talk. When I tune in, because I believe that the idea is very real, that when a student is ready, the teacher appears. And so I must be ready for this idea because I keep hearing teachers talk about it. And it is the idea of complaining and removing complaining. And I keep hearing this. And so I'm like, okay. So then I have to go from like, I'm not really a complainer. I don't think I really complain to like, oh, wait, do I complain? And then when you become aware of it, oh, I do complain. Oh, wow. I bitch and moan. <laughs> I have full, <laughs> I have full <laughs> rants and raves. And then like, oh, okay. I guess admitting I do really complain. And then moving from that stage to, of admitting it, awareness to acceptance and admission to then being able to start recognizing it when it's happening and be like, oh, I'm, I'm doing that right now. To then obviously then be like, okay. Let me stop and try to insert new floppy disk into brain. And like, <laughs> this is such a dumb, just pedantic or like elementary kind of example of this. But this week I sat at the same red light and I had to pee so bad. And all I wanted to do was get home. And I heard myself alone in my car going, this sucks. This fucking sucks. This fucking sucks. This fucking sucks. I fucking hate this. I fucking hate this. I fucking hate this. This fucking sucks. And I was like sweating in my shirt against the back of my seat of the car. And I was like, oh God. But I heard myself saying out loud alone in my car, this fucking sucks. <laughs> and so I was like, oh, mm. okay, hold on. And so I stopped and I looked around and I was like, whoa, those trees are so pretty. And I started looking at those trees. I was like, whoa, those trees are so pretty. Wow, they're really pretty against the sky. Whoa, the sky is like, wow, the sky is really pretty right now. Those are cool colors. And in that moment, my experience of the world became really pretty and beautiful. So mm. like, was the world pretty at the same time? It fucking sucked, fucking sucked, fucking sucked, fucking sucked. Like, <laughs> was I still sweating in my shirt against my seat? Did I still have to pee super bad? Did I have to sit through that light again because traffic was so bad? Yes. But like, we are always projecting the thing we're thinking 
of like, man, this sucks. Man, this is crummy. This is a shit sandwich. We are projecting that out. And then our brain is finding all the shit sandwiches and showing them to us. And then that is the world. It's a shit sandwich. And you really can at the same time be like, I still have to pee. I'm still sweating against this thing. I still can't get through this light. And yet, wow, is the world a really pretty place that is cradling me and giving me everything I need all the time. And that thing that we have been raised that's so deeply ingrained in us from Mad men and advertising and all of that stuff of like scarcity and lack, and you do not have what you need. And as soon as your complexion is right, then you will blank. And as soon as your relationship is right, then you will blank. And as soon as your body is right and your hair is right and your this is right and your career is right, then that whole ipso facto, like if I get this, then I'll have that, is such a fucking lie. And that's even all that consumerism and like cap, but like late stage capitalist bullshit that is keeping us suffering so deeply. I think that same tentacle is tied with the same religious trauma tentacle in our brain that is this idea of heaven and that one day things will be good. It will be restored. Your body will not have pain. Your relationships will have ease and freedom and love and joy. You will all those things like not now, but then, which is ultimately keeping us from living experiencing joy, seeing beauty around us. We just think that female cardinal birds are brown and drab because they don't have to be anything other than that. And really all we're doing is describing the limitations of our own perceptions. And I just, uh, shut me up, Adrian. I'll just keep going. (laughs) Holly, I I don't know what I expect. I think I expected this to be a silly, silly fun time conversation. And we are here in a mindful (laughs) examination, a zooming out of our own deconstruction and religious story. We're understanding our finitude and our gratitude and our presence for this finite life. I am beyond excited for it is where this conversation has turned into <laughs> Me too. this is great and i'll do bits and i'll i'll heighten the shit out of any bit you want to do and i'll fuck around all day long because like truly comedy is my safe space and like improvising is my most happy place ever but there's something i really like about you and i love your podcast and just your idea that it's gonna be okay Aww. we're okay like it speaks so deeply to me adrian because i do walk around with a sense all the time that like that sense of dread that was programmed into us of like, I'm probably doing it wrong. I'm probably wrong. I'm bad. Mm-hmm. It's so strong. It's so strong. It's so strong. It's so strong. Can we talk about, cause I'm hearing the story of you being brought up and I imagine Pentecostal, right? You're talking about big tent revivals, casting out demons. Is this kind of like a charismatic Pentecostal upbringing that's informing a lot of kind of your internal language? It wasn't Pentecostal. <laughs> I guess it was Pentecostal adjacent, but my dad was like a traveling. My my parents started a Christian rock band in the late 70s and 80s, and they were traveling around doing like. Would we know this Christian rock band? Baby, you can YouTube it and enjoy <laughs> it. Their, their band was called the Good News Circle. Okay. And if you just put the Good News Circle into YouTube and pull it up, you'll see them opening up a crusade. Lovely word. Great. For Billy Graham at Texas A&M University of them playing for like, I don't know, 30,000 people or something, a song about Jesus. And so I was always a little bit afraid of the more charismatic stuff, like speaking in tongues and slain in the spirit and all of that. But we did have casting out demons and stuff like that. But uh, sorry, what was the question again? Am I having a pothead moment? 
<laughs> no, no, no. I was just curious because I'm just trying to kind of cobble together like my understanding of Holly's upbringing as a, as a church kid. So you're brought up in this sort of like Christian culture. You're deep in the bubble. Yeah. And then it sounds like you pretty early on kind of broke off. But were, were you like a good kid right out the? It sounded like you were kind of like always like a little kind of like rage against the machine when it came to this. Sort Definitely of thing. rage, rage against the machine. But also, to be honest, and it's so hard looking back because like every time you revisit a memory, evidently it's like taking a file folder, scribbling some new notes, xing out something else that was in there, <laughs> and then putting it back into your. So I don't know how much of this is revisionist history, but I really feel like I never liked it. I, I hear a lot of ex-evangelicals or people who have deconstructed or people who were once uh, people of faith who are now more evidence-based people rather than faith-based or whatever. But I hear a lot of people who miss the community side of church, the belonging, the all that stuff. And I'm always like, mm, that's definitely not me. I never liked it. I always had that imposter syndrome. I always thought I was about to be found out. And that might've just been because I was like, Oh, I'm a pervert in my brain. Cause everything you think is wrong, you know, according to yeah, them. Yeah. And so I was so afraid of my own you know, sinful nature and being found out and all that stuff. But I think I could never find the fucking gear in my shifter, man. And I always was like, mm. And then so for a while, I remember being like, oh, maybe I'm not predestined. <gasps> That's it. I'm like in a and I'm, I'm in a family of all predestined people and I'm not. So like, oh, no. And I just couldn't ever make sense of it. I think ultimately now looking back, I would just say like, I didn't like it. Church isn't for me. I didn't mm. like I don't like the stories. I don't like the doctrine. I don't like the music. But Adrian, that being said, my parents made me go to a service over Christmas when I was home. And I sat and watched myself. I was observing myself as if I was a rat in a scientist lab. And I was like, holy shit. It took T minus two minutes for me to look around and see the smiling faces and the warm kind of Coldplay style tension build in the music oh, and yeah. the everything to be like, you know what? It's maybe this is that this is beautiful. This is good. It, it's the same thing. My friend, Sean Watkins, who's a musician, he talks about how like a concert that really speaks to you, like a Harry Styles show or whatever yeah. can get you yeah. to the same emotional place that a church service does. You know, we're employing yeah. the arts in the same way of these are things that like give you a sense of belonging that make you feel connected. That is so intoxicating to us as humans. We just want to belong so desperately and deeply. And it's like, oh, well, maybe it's here. And then, you know, when you add in all the complications of the relationship to your family, with the people who were your, for so long, your primary love source, your idea of your identity, your belonging, your everything, how complicated that gets when you are deconstructing that. Oh, it's such an emotional ride. <laughs> it's so hard. It is so hard. Yeah. I see yeah. it. I wish people could see your face right now. Adrian and I are both just <laughs> shaking our heads. Do I know. No, it's just our strength and courage. <laughs> no, everything you're saying, I feel like I've felt or thought at, at some point. So like for you, I guess I want to know how you moved from this experience to make mega. <laughs> like, How did you go from there to there again in some roundabout way? You know, can you talk to me a little bit about the backstory? I didn't want to do mega at all. I just really wanted to do a podcast. Now, the more I've gotten into your podcast, this is so true, Adrian. There were so many times I've been listening to your podcast where I'm like, damn, this is a podcast I wanted to make. <laughs> Stop. Get out of here. I'm, I'm serious because like this is the shit I love to talk about and I especially love to do it with thoughtful people who give a shit. And I just I, I'm a fan of you. But 
that being said, I didn't want to make mega. I wanted to make a comedy mm. and I wanted to reach comedy nerds. And I just really wanted to make a podcast. And my partner, Greg, he kept being like, man, you should do something with a mega church. You used to work at a mega church. Your dad is a mega church pastor. You know the language. And he always said that I joke that I'm bilingual. I speak English and I speak evangelical. And you know, <laughs> like specificity in comedy is absolute gold. And the more specific of a language you speak, the more universally it will speak to other people. And try as I might to get away. I really reached the point, too, before mega where I was like really, really done with like looking at it, talking about it. I didn't want to, I was tired of it. My feelings were hurt. I was like, I have lost so much of my life. I feel like such a late bloomer, such a late bloomer in everything, relationally, self-esteem wise, intelligence, everything. I just feel like I am such, like socially, I'm such a late bloomer in every way, shape and form. And it's so easy for me to point science to and history, science and, <laughs> and history. We're totally, I know. um, I know. I, I, we weren't allowed, you know, scientists yeah. are God haters. Yeah. And so now I've been somewhat of a, well, now I get to be a lifelong learner and learn all the things I didn't get to when it would have been helpful, <laughs> but it's easy to point to Christendom and be like, it's you, you held me back, you terrible, uh, abusive relationship. But man, it really is like whatever you're focused on looking at, it's there. If it's gender, like that's not just coming from the church. That's deeply in culture. If it's about policing each other's language, behavior and activity, like that's in the church, but that's also in our culture. If it's about having to earn <laughs> your way or, or deeply believing that you are by the very nature of your existence, you are deserving of a very real hell and you need to be redeemed by someone else. But that is also in our culture too. It, it's not Jesus in our culture. It's this product that will finally get you to the thing that you need to be complete. You know? Yeah. Again, the tentacles are all so deep. Wait, where was I going with this, Adrian? <laughs> oh yeah, Mega. Oh yeah. So Yeah, a little bit of <laughs> we could talk about Mega if you want. We don't have to talk about Mega at all. What's Mega? Mega is an improvised satire from the staff of the fictional <laughs> Mega Church. So I was trying to do another comedy podcast. It ended up becoming Mega because I do have this bilingual thing going. I can chalk up a lot of regret and place it right at the door of the church. My 95 bitches and moans. <laughs> Speaking of trying to move into a state of gratitude and yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> but um, what, of course, ended up happening was I was like, OK, did Mega kind of created it, launched it, put it out into the world. I'd never heard the word exvangelical before Mega. And all of a sudden, this whole incredible, beautiful community, I'd never heard the words deconstruction about that. And so all of this has been a result of stepping into that space and adding my voice to the chorus. Yeah. And I'm really grateful that I did because it has forced me to continue to seek a deeper understanding of where I come from. And in terms of good, better, best and bad, worse, worse or worstest, having to keep tinkering with it instead of just writing it off or instead of losing the beautiful baby when I do toss out this horrible, disgusting, original sin bathwater. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I have found it to be really therapeutic. One of the biggest like responses people get is that a lot of people find it uh, really helpful to laugh about it. And other people contact me and they're like, man, I go through periods where I cannot listen to mega because like it just, it's, it's, too, it's cutting too close to the bone. It sounds too similar. Yep. And like, I yep. get it. There are times when I hear things come out of my character's voice where I'm like, wow, this actually like physically hurts my body to say these words. I don't like this. I was just about to ask you what it is in your experience, because I'm sure we probably have a 
our own context, but I'm sure there is a lot of similarity in this as well as in everything else we've talked about. What is it about humor, satire that has been so effective in your experience for your own personal journey, but also like all of your listeners? I think it has become a great surrogate for all of the instincts that growing up in the church gave me. It has been a welcome replacement, meaning I have found community there. I've found a language for understanding reality there. I have found um, belonging. And I think because I grew up with such a black and white, dire experience of that high demand religion and then what it did to me and my self-esteem, I think I had experienced the world as very much laugh or cry. And I was like, you know what? I've cried Mm. fucking enough. I'm ready to laugh about this. And like, there are times where I'm like, man, I don't find any of this funny at all. And then there are other times where I'm like, oh man, everything's absurd. Every belief we have is completely absurd. Even just look at how much learning and expansiveness we can do just in terms of gender. And that's something I wouldn't even have conceived of 10 years ago. I would have been like, come again. Right. It wasn't in your framework. Exactly. And so the more that your lens kind of widens and again, When the student is ready, the teacher appears. I think the more we can ready ourselves for expanding, there is an empowerment that comes from that because I think the word I could boil my entire Christian experience down to was the word fear. And comedy to me feels like a much more productive and helpful fear. (laughs) It's sort of turning fear on its head head and exposing it as it defangs fear, honestly, to me, because I think I was always so afraid of what I would uncover in myself that would be too much, too dark, too ugly, too catastrophic, not recoverable to what comedy consistently tries to build into my DNA is that like exactly what you're saying of like, it's okay. It's okay. It's okay to laugh at it. It's okay when you can't laugh at it. It's okay. But comedy, I feel like, is so present. And comedy also, to me, at its essence, is surprise. Usually, I think what is happening at the deepest essence of any giggle or laugh or, or chuckle that comes out of your body is it's like, a, ah, ah, it's like I surprised you. If you know, like it's, uh. it's something happened really, ah, I didn't see it going there. Like, oh, I've never heard it said that way. Or, ah, there's a surprise inside of it. Yeah. And that feels really, really, really really good to me. And that feels ripe for exploring because I'm starting to sense that most of this human experience is unknown to us. I'm ready to open myself up to surprises. And if comedy is the language that I can do that with, it feels like home to me. And I've been hearing a lot of teachers also talking about how The reason I go back to that megachurch at Christmas Eve with all of my now new knowledge of like, I'm I'm a bird that's outside of the cage now. And when I go back there, I'm looking back in the cage. Do I want to go back in there or whatever? That cage, whatever that bird cage is for you, I think a lot of times we can tip into getting back into bad patterns and bad behaviors because they do feel familiar to us. You know, Mm -hmm. like a lot of times if you're someone with avoidant attachment or anxious attachment, and you go on a date with someone who is pretty much disregarding your feelings, like you kind of fall in love quicker with them because that feels like home to you. Mm. And so I'm trying to stay in that space where I lean toward surprises rather than toward the comfort of the familiar, simply because on an intellectual level, 
I know that the comfort of the familiar is not good for me. Mm. And I go back into it a lot because it feels like home. It's funny you say that because I feel like, man, I love that you said the idea of surprise. I don't think I've ever considered it that way, but it makes sense why someone can listen to a show that like perfectly imitates the evangelical conversation, but then just a couple little things that make it distinct and kind of like tongue in cheek and just a couple little winks at the audience. It's like having, it's like, I don't know, it's like having a dish that you've eaten like a bunch of times, but then like someone else tries doing it and they like add cilantro and you're like, oh my God, this is fucking great. And it's just (laughs) like one little thing that just separates it just enough to go, holy shit. Yeah, this is different. I think there's this blend in the work that you do. You can get really close and it feels really familiar, but it, but there's just something that is distinctly unfamiliar that is what makes it entertaining. And you're like, oh, okay, I can be, because I imagine, I'm sure if you wanted to, you could go from a parody to an impression, like an impersonation of an actual megachurch pastor and you could turn it on and then it wouldn't be a joke anymore. Oh yeah. It would be a character, but the ability <laughs> to like just keep the water from boiling like just a little bit, you know, like I think that also requires a lot of skill. Oh, thanks, man. Well, I come from the comedy tradition of like, if you have something to say about anything at all, like the most effective way is to be that thing to the height, to play it to the height of your intelligence, to have an unfeigned and sincere point of view of being the thing you're making the statement about rather than getting up on a soapbox. And mm. you never change anybody's mind with a persuasive argument. <laughs> But if you can kind of disarm them with the power of laughter and then also embody real and humanize real people, Mega has no interest in we're not punching down at people of faith. We are punching up at the power structures that, again, like don't tolerate dissent. And as much as the church always told me, like, question, questions are welcome. God can (laughs) hold the hand of your doubt and all that stuff. I'm like, yeah, is that true, though? Because what I have found in comedy is that comedy truly is about question everything, (laughs) question everything. Mm. And I would really like to put my energy there more because the opposite of that, it just hurt too badly. It hurt. It really, really, really hurt. Again, like we were talking about dissociating and all of that, you know, it was really entirely unhelpful to have been raised by grownups who told us that we were surrounded by very real monsters in the form of invisible demons. Mm. That was not helpful. I was just such an anxious, sensitive, frightened kid. And also being told that my body, that my spirit was willing, but my flesh was weak, that my body was not to be trusted, that my desires were innately wrong, that if I followed my own intuition, it would drag me straight to fucking hell. And that is a place of eternal torment. I mean, come on, at least give us the like compassion of annihilation. But like, no, we're going to have to pay for this forever. Wait, the first woman who ever made a choice for herself for something that she wanted and followed her desires, like ruined everything for all humankind for all time. Wait, what? (laughs) This is I'm not finding this to be helpful at all. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Oh, my God. And I feel like. What'll happen is I'll take a bath at night and smoke a joint and then I'll, I'll get out of the bathtub and I'll be like, uh oh, Greg, high thoughts incoming, get ready. And he's like, here we go. And I, and I'll just be like, okay, I'm always trying to like boil it down. And my most recent like high bathtub thought was, I was like, you know what? My parents had the opportunity to be like, this is life. This is how you talk, this is where you go, this is who you hang out with, this is how you believe, this is what you think. 
And um, they really gave me the full picture of, of that. <laughs> and I came to a point where I was like, I don't like this at all. I don't like this life. Now you and I are in that complicated journey of like, okay, well, what is, what is the life that feels good? If that was hurtful and not helpful, what helps? Who helps? Where is the help? And honestly, Adrian, I am like, wow. One of the things that I learned from Jay Abrams, what's his name? The guy who wrote The Year of Biblical Thinking, where he went as an atheist and he lived out all the like rules of the Bible for one year. And he talked about how like one of the things is, what's his name? AJ Jacobs? This is why you don't smoke joints in the bathtub. <laughs> AJ Jacobs. AJ Jacobs. He talked about like here he was an atheist and he was like dedicated one solid year of his life to living biblically according to all the rules of the Bible. And he talks about like the most transformational thing of that whole experience was the commandment to be in a constant state of gratitude. He said he would start just being like, you know, standing there waiting for the elevator in his building. And he'd be like, wow, I'm so grateful that I have an elevator. I'm so grateful that the elevator's working. I'm so grateful that I don't have to carry my groceries up the stairs. I'm so grateful that it just delivered me safely to my floor. I'm so grateful. And when he started doing that just for the sake of writing this book, he said it was the most transformative thing he's ever been through. It was like, oh, wow. So there are things in there. There is wisdom being passed down through all these different, I guess you could call them sacred texts. I, I, that's not how I feel about them. But again, I guess the gratitude thing is like one of the babies in all that disgusting bathwater. <laughs> that that nasty. We just keep circling back this freaking gross water. <laughs> I'm glad you started talking about this because, and I know we're coming up on time, but I always want to try and last year and this year, I want to like, like touch on this question to all my guests and, and friends of the show. And you now are. What have you found on this side of your evangelical experience that has perhaps scratched the same itch? that maybe your evangelicalism did once upon a time. I know in some of your experience, maybe it seemed like it never quite scratched the itch, but at least the way that it was peddled to you. What have you found now? What do you participate in? What do you do? What do you think? What do you practice that has like, I don't know, kind of gives the same mojo, you know, smells like grandma's cooking. I think ultimately what I am looking for and that I have gotten whiffs and glimpses of is the potential to be seen, known, and loved, and still loved. I'm getting choked up. I'm a crier. But I, I think that deep, deep fear of not just being like a depraved, you know, disgusting person who's deserving of a very real hell, but just that human belonging feeling of if I am known, if I am found out, if I am discovered, I will be cast out. I think now you don't always get it because people are so flawed and dynamics are so fraught and nothing is perfect. But I think by investing in relationships and looking to build my found family, I'm looking for that, that thing of like, I know you're not perfect, Holly. I know you can be a real bullshitter in the following ways. And I know your shortcomings too. And I know all of those things. It's okay. You're okay. And I still love you. I think right now for me straddling a world in which I'm still trying to maintain relationships with people who fundamentally see the world incredibly different than me and still love and be loved by them to the degree that you can when really at this point it feels like if I have the tough conversation with you and and tell you who I really am you know if I come out of the closet in all of these different ways in this relationship like will I still be 
you know, I still have a lot of relationships where it won't fly, where, where telling the truth of who I am is the nuclear option. And so being able to live in a world in which that is the case and also simultaneously be looking for acceptance. And I mean, even as I say that out loud, I'm like, oh, I know that I'm really the only one that can offer that to me. Sure. <laughs> but I accept me. I know all my bullshit and I know I'm still worthy of love. Like, I think that's the nut that I keep going to the store and purchasing and trying to crack. What about you? What do you what are you feeling lately in in terms of that? What's your salve? What's the balm? I just had a conversation with a friend of mine and friend of the show. His name is Rad Onishi and he hosts a podcast called Straight White American Jesus. He said this so well and I was like, that's good. I'm gonna steal that. He was saying like the two biggest questions in my life that I was ever handed was where did I come from and where am I going? And these two fundamental, cosmically significant questions. I have no control over. He's like, I didn't have any control over when I was conceived. And I really don't have much control over when I will no longer exist. So if the most important things in the universe I have no control over, then everything in between is just gravy. And so I am kind of in the middle of what I call my cosmic shrug era. So very similar to you, or I have no <laughs> idea. And I don't right. even think about it too much. Because I think even down, to, and there are a lot of folks who, you know, they love kind of theology, even from a progressive perspective, or they use theology to negate evangelical theology, and they do a lot of systematic thinking. I am like so tired of that now. And so I'm just trying to do whatever I can to get as into my body as viscerally inside myself as I possibly can in whatever yeah. way feels good and whatever way is giving me the most joy. So that's kind of where it is. For, him, for me, I'm like, if it feels good, just keep on doing it. Hell yeah. And Maybe you and I are the type of people who would never think this or give ourselves credit for it, but maybe we're creating more potential without even realizing it. Maybe we're creating more potential for that by having the podcasts that we have, because in some way we're focusing a lot of our time and energy toward creating a space and holding space. And then whatever happens inside of that, you know, people's responses to it and the relationships that we build through it and the conversations that we have and the ideas that we come to and the insights that visit us. We're holding the space for, and truly, I do think one of the biggest salves and balms for all of that is for me, the creative process by continuing to force myself into risk. Because for me, anytime you create something, the only way I really know how to create is through taking a big risk and that you can really only succeed to the point at which you are also willing to abjectly fail. And what an important part of the creative process failure is and when you and I come from a world where the stakes were so high in terms of failure. Yep. Zero margin for error. Zero margin. And the stakes <laughs> were so high. And now it's like, oh, wait, continuing on the creative process is one of the byproducts of that is keeping me in a space where failure is intrinsic. And every time I try to make something, I, I learn a little bit more or I'm, I'm creating a new groove in my brain that failure is okay. Not only is it okay, it's a hundred percent part of it. A major league baseball player, if they're batting 500, they're the best in the league. And that means you're hitting the ball half the time. And that, it, you know, you just, you don't connect with the ball every single time, but God damn it. I want to strike out swinging yeah. and not watching that motherfucking ball cross the plate. So like swing and fail, swing and fail, swing and fail is maybe the new goal rather than before, like quiver in limbo and fear that anything I do <laughs> is going to be catastrophic, <laughs> not just for me, but for everyone. For all of mankind, all of humanity forever. 
all of humanity forever, just like Eve. Just, just like Eve. Thanks a lot. No, that is lovely. And this conversation has been absolutely amazing. I'm so grateful for you and for the work that you do. Where can folks go to find you, support you, connect with you, collaborate with you? Tell us all the things if you would. Oh, Adrian, I really, I really dig you. My website is hollylorent.com. Our podcast is mega the podcast, wherever you get your podcasts. Our website is mega the podcast. Our email is mega the podcast at Gmail. And I'm Holly Laurent on Instagram. Fuck Twitter. We also do a lot of mega stuff on YouTube and TikTok and all that. Learning pretty quickly that the things that go viral on TikTok are the things that outrage people. <laughs> so so how much yeah, do we want to contribute tracks. to that conversation? We shall see. <laughs> <laughs> well, this has been amazing, Holly. Please do come back anytime. Blank check. I feel like we could talk for probably approximately another 16 hours. So we'll have to pencil uh, in a, a couple other episodes. A hundred percent. Let me know when you're in LA. We talked about this before we started recording, but talk to the trees in your neighborhood about where you I'm should go next. They will, will put it into the network and it will, it will start to move things for you. <laughs> and we'll get you it. out of South Florida. Thank you so much for this time. And thank you to people who are listening. If you're listening to Adrian, you're on the right path. Keep going. It's okay. It's okay. You're okay. Adrian, oh, tell me I'm okay. I want to hear how you do <laughs> you're, it. You're doing great. You're doing great. Hey, you're you're, you're going to keep up the dirty work and it's all going to be okay. <laughs> thanks, Holly. I appreciate this. Thanks so much. It was great. She's great. It's all great. It's cool when you, when you talk to someone who you don't anticipate being on a very similar wavelength as you, and that's exactly what happens. It's just one of the many pleasant surprises that this conversation with Holly ended up being. She's hilarious. She's incredibly eloquent. The way she formulates her thoughts, and it's just so great. On the video recording, which I'm going to post on the Patreon, like you just see me kind of riveted. I think I am getting to a place where maybe certain parts of my upbringing, I'm not as venomous toward. I'm also at a place where certain things that people send me like, oh my God, look how fucking ridiculous these evangelicals are. I'm starting to kind of go, yeah, it's really sad. <laughs> it's like really sad. Like I, I feel like my relationship to my upbringing is changing, not in the sense of like, I'm a Christian again, shut up about a Honda, but more like I am seeing it in a way that it's, it doesn't quite hurt as much. There's a conversation I have in the next episode, but I'm going to kind of touch on it now. It's like, I've often referred to my relationship with the church, like a bitter relationship with an ex, you know, I've, I've used that metaphor over and over again. Like when you leave the church, there are people who were friends with the person you dated and therefore they can no longer be friends with you because they were friends with that person first. And you just happen to be a part of the scenery, right? A part of the furniture. And that's what happens when you leave churches. There are people who are like, Hey, I, I'm so sorry. Like you're great. But my loyalty is with the person you're, you're dating, which is the church or Jesus, maybe dating Jesus. And, and so you can feel like you are over your ex, but all you do is talk about that ex, you know? And if all you do is talk about your ex, like, are you really over them? There's nothing wrong with not being over an ex, you know, or it's, there's nothing wrong with not being over your upbringing. And there's nothing wrong with like holding space and giving yourself miles and miles of room to grieve and rage and process and vent and laugh and ridicule, like all of those things. I mean, you've listened to me for the past, like going on four years, do all of those things. And I feel like I'm kind of getting to a place and that's kind of what informed my decision to to kind of land the plane this year is this feeling of like, okay, 
I can face these things. I don't need humor to walk right up to it and look at it in the face. And I don't need maybe my anger as much to walk up and look at it in the face. And I can, you know what I mean? It's just like, it's just a different way that I relate to my upbringing. So Holly, thank you for this. This is an absolute blast. You are a treasure of a human being. The timing works out. You're more than welcome to come back. (laughs) You have between now and the end of the year. Okay, great. Well, everyone, I think we did it. I think we have time to seamlessly transition into our final segment of the night. And you know what it is. I know what it is. It's a segment I like to call Sip, Smoke, Read. Sip, Smoke, Sip, Smoke, Read. So you know we read that shit. Only sip the finest party lit. On my couch and I be So you're thinking listen to these idiots. But here you keep on listening. And here you are so listen. Made your pain corner to the latest book. Rock bitch. Browse over, watch a show, just take a look. Probably cartoons. They call me little fishy for my hooks. Now you gotta sip, smoke. Well, I don't have much to say today because as I said, I was a little bit out of order. And so I don't want to say everything exactly the same as I say on the next episode, but I'm going to share. So I shared about North Carolina and I started a new book. It's a a book that's new to me. So those of you who know, know that I'm a fan of a book series called The Court of Thorns and Roses. So there's a book series that they're like, oh, if you like that, you'll like this one. And it's called Blood and Ash. There's definitely a, a distinct naming convention, you know, where you kind of know what you're getting based on the title. So this is called Blood and Ash. So I read that first book. And then the second book is called A Kingdom of Flesh and Fire. So I'm reading that book now. And, uh, you know, I love a good world building situation. I love uh, enemies turn to friends, turn to possibly lovers, question mark. I love a little bit of action and adventure and suspense. And also, I like something that is really light. I like something that I can just listen to and put down, and it's not going to keep me up at night or trouble me. That's, that's what I need in my life, okay? So I'm reading that book. I have recently returned back to a genre of music that I've never didn't really let go of, but I just didn't find myself listening to as much. Uh, And that is a genre of synth wave. I think the closest to like a sound of synth wave is like if you if you watch Stranger Things, all the sound, all the music on Stranger Things, that's like kind of synth wave or like synth wave pop. I'm sure there's a purist who's like, that's not synth wave. Okay, calm down, nerd. Relax. It's fine. But there's a band that I love called The Midnight. And they are just, in my opinion, probably the best ones doing it right now when it comes to that sound. And so people who know me or have listened for any length of time know that I'm a big fan of the midnight. But what I guess I never did was I never really decided to like look around and like follow that rabbit trail of more artists that are doing similar things. And so I found like a reel of an artist that goes by Dream Kid and their music is kind of that vibe and it's so, so good. So I found their music on the old Spotify and that led me down a rabbit trail of other artists, namely one that I've been listening to a lot uh, Time Cop 1983. So between the Midnight Dream Kid and Time Cop 1983, I tend to play them when I'm working out and I'm like warming up doing like some jump ropes or something. And I just feel like it's an 80s montage, right? Listening to Synthwave while you're warming up or doing some jump ropes or like working out, you feel like you're just channeling all of my breakfast club vibes or something. It's, it's just great. All around it's great. I started a new show. So as you know, we finished His Dark Materials. It was a good series. It's a good show. Caught up on all three seasons based on the Golden Compass series. It was good. That said, I didn't know when. It's a bit of a spoiler. You never know what they're talking about, who his dark materials. You don't know who he is, and you don't know what is dark about it, and you never really know the materials. 
that's the thing. I'm like looking back and I'm like, was this good? I mean, it was good, but like, was it also confusing? So I started a show. I wanted a show that was kind of light. Ever since The Office got pulled from Netflix, there, there was a hole. There's like a hole in like short, lighthearted, passively entertaining comedy that I can turn on and turn off when I'm like eating lunch, you know, or if I'm like, you know, if I'm taking a break or taking a breather, I can just turn something on, watch it for 26 minutes and turn it off. You know, The Office did that for me. I watched Friends and that kind of did that for me. How I Met Your Mother, um, New Girl. And so that's like the vibe that I want. I want something light, something simple. That's I don't need to like remember what happened last time in order to appreciate what's happening on this episode. So I've been watching a little bit of New Girl and like I love that show. But I was like, man, I just don't know if this is quite doing it. And so then my friend's like, you should you should watch The Good Place. And believe it or not, I've never seen The Good Place. And someone told me, they said, The Good Place, I will forever appreciate The Good Place because of the way in which it ended. They, they said the ending was lovely and I just started it. So I decided to start it. I decided to give it the old shake. And, you know, I, I get it. Like, I see why people can just turn it on and turn it off. It seems like there is a little bit of a narrative, which is kind of distinct, where you're like following an arc a little more than, I don't know, The Office, where each episode is kind of standalone until you get later on in the, in the seasons. Nonetheless, it's still really, really good. So yeah, so I'm watching that. I'm enjoying that. As far as drinks, I haven't really been drinking much. I, you know, I just don't really drink as much these days, which is kind of wild. And I don't really smoke as much these days. This is how you know that I'm evolving as a person, not necessarily for better or worse. I'm just evolving. I am, however, still enjoying Delta 9 gummies. So I go for a Delta 9 from Botany Farm specifically. They've been like a brand that I've really, really enjoyed. I should partner with them. They should be paying me dollars for, for plugging them for as long as I have. But their Delta 9 is, is really, really good. Um, their Delta 8 is also really good. They have a Delta 10. I don't know what all these Deltas do. I need to talk to a weed nerd to educate me on all the nuances of all these different Delta iterations. But yeah, the Delta 8 is good. The Delta 9 has been really, really good. I think that's all I have. I could drone on and on, but then I'm going to start talking about stuff that I talk about in the next episode. And I don't want to do that either. So... With that, I'm going to go ahead and land the plane. Everyone, I, I just want to thank you so much for listening to this. If you want to f- continue to support the show, you can go to dirtyrottenchurchkids.com. There's a Twitter there. There's an Instagram there. There is a TikTok there. I have drastically changed my relationship to social media. Anyone who follows the Instagram knows it's, you already know this. I've like changed my relationship. Like my relationship with social media has changed so much. It was kind of starting to impact my mental health. Like anytime I would get like little mini anxiety attacks anytime I would log into social media. Yeah. So like now I almost don't even enjoy (laughs) going on there. I used to post nonstop, like multiple times a day in years past. And now I'm just kind of at a spot where I want my relationship with social media to be strictly professional, you know, and I think social media in general, I really am starting to just kind of become a little bit disenfranchised with maybe, maybe that's the term, but I'm like, I need to like give myself some definitive boundaries about how I approach social media, how much time I give it in my life. Um, so by all means, you're certainly welcome to follow and connect and support in those ways. But like my relationship with social media has completely changed. However, I also have a Patreon and that has been great. If you'd like to support this last season of the show, it really helps with fixed costs and all those things. And uh, so you can support in an exchange of supporting me on Patreon. You have access to the Bad Apple only Discord server, and then I will be uh, adding bonus content. Sometimes that might be a podcast episode or it's going to be the actual video interview of the guests that I interview. I'll be posting that kind of in its entirety up on the Patreon as well. 
Um, there's also a Teespring. If you want to get some swag, this is the time to do it. Because once this season's over, the swag is is gone. So, you know, it's stock up on all your, your Bad Apple merch now while you can. Everyone, thank you so much for listening to this episode. Special shout out to Holly. I appreciate you so much. You're a wonderful human being. Thank you all for, once again, your support. It means so much. Thank you for listening to this second episode of the final season of the Dirty Rotten Church Kids podcast. Keep up the dirty work, everyone. And remember, it's all going to be okay. Thanks so much to Holly for joining me on this episode and for being a wonderful human. Every episode and conversation on this final season reminds me how much I appreciate this community and fills me with gratitude for this whole thing. Take care of yourselves and each other. You're cool, dope, fresh, and smart brain. I've never seen you dance but I bet you're good because you're good at everything. You're awesome. Be nicer to yourself. First Corinthians warned you about the women with a loud mouth, and this podcast is just that. Here at the Speaking in Church podcast, we talk all about the regular people and the things that regularly happen to them in the evangelical church. It's a podcast about change. It's a podcast about seeking moral high ground. And it's a podcast for people who are just trying to deconstruct on the safe side. You can listen wherever you get your podcast, And if you want to be a guest, yes, you, regular person, you can be a guest on the Speaking in Church podcast. If you want to come on, just let us know.